Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to AOA to help start your week. Hard to believe it is already March 28th. We've got a lot coming up on the show today here in just a bit. We'll be talking with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. He's on Twitter at Dennis Cattle. And Dennis was keeping a close eye on Friday's Cattle on Feed report. Those numbers are out. He'll help break them down for us in just a second. In segment two, we're going to talk weather. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us. Possibility for more severe storms as spring rolls on. John will help highlight who needs to be on the lookout for severe weather this week. In segment three, Jackie Holland, Farm Policy Editor with Farm Progress, will be joining us. And Jackie has been keeping an eye on everything that's happening in Washington, D.C. And folks, there is a lot happening in Washington, D.C. Just as farmers are getting their planters geared up, folks in D.C. are getting progress started on a number of different issues. Jackie will share those with us in a minute. And then at the end of the show, we're going to talk with another Jackie. This one is Jackie Holland. She's the markets editor with Farm Futures Magazine. And Farm Futures had a survey done, and they show that soybean acres might be higher than the trade is considering. This is big news since later on this week, on the 31st, we will get the prospective plantings report from the USDA. Before we jump into all of that, though, I promised we would talk cattle. Joining us to do that is Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. And Dennis, heading into Friday's Cattle on Feed report, the trade was expecting a total cattle number of 101.1%. Where did we end up on Friday? Well, the uh, the market saw the uh, the on-feed numbers at 101, but the uh, placement's larger than expected at 109%. But the uh, on the other side of the coin, the marketings were higher than expected at 105%. So uh, that could be a record high marketing number for February. I'm not entirely sure of that, but it is a very large number. And that placements number was very, very large indeed. Dennis, was this more cattle coming off of wheat pastures? Producers are making the decision to uh, to harvest that wheat rather than graze it? Oh yeah, well that, it's a it's a decision to, to prevent it from from dying completely because there's there's no moisture, uh, and that is forcing the cattle off of wheat and into the feed yards, and so that's definitely what's been occurring. Uh, physically, it's impossible to continue to to place large numbers of cattle with a smaller calf crop, so this is not expected to continue. And in fact, Mike, I'm hearing that March placements are down from a year ago level. Okay, Dennis, where does that take the market from here? We've got live cattle down a little bit here on the day this report was slightly bearish would be my guess. Well, uh, from here at this moment forward, Mike, I am bullish the cattle market simply because in my opinion, you're looking at the largest numbers that we will have uh, for the foreseeable future. In other words, in my opinion, placements will not continue to, to be as strong as they were or as large as they have been. And it, with the marketing pace uh, very current, keeping this market in current status, that should continue. Demand for beef is outstanding. Exports are ripping. And, uh, and again, the placements are not going to stay elevated as they have been. So as a futures market, which is what we're talking about here, uh, in my opinion, this market does not trend lower. It, it bottoms out and, and moves higher. Well, that would be good news for a lot of beef producers out there. Dennis, one of the concerns I hear from the field is that high prices elsewhere, notably fuel, are going to cause consumers to pull back their purchases. Are we seeing a step back in beef demand yet? What are box beef values doing? Oh, I don't think we're anywhere as close to that situation developing. We have... Uh, uh, inflation, no doubt, uh, but it's uh, food price inflation. But Mike, uh, my sources tell me the consumer is still uh, uh, flush with funds and, and, with, and with COVID money and with savings on the backside of the pandemic. Everybody's working. Unemployment's at a 50-year low. In my opinion, we are way ahead of the, of the situation as far as uh, prices 
rationing supplies. We're not anywhere as close to that, in my opinion. So looking out to the summer months here in fat cattle, current futures trade 136-137. Dennis, do you think we're going to see cash trade higher than that as we get closer to summer? Uh, I do. I, I, I think the cash market uh, moves higher. Processing margins are, are very profitable right now. Uh, wholesale beef, Mike, is pulled back. We're about at a 52-week low. Uh, the users have an opportunity to book beef here at an extremely attractive price level and feature that for the summer features. Margins are highly profitable. They, they can pay higher money for cattle and still make money processing. In fact, they can pay a lot higher money for cattle and make money processing. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, uh, on both the supply front and the demand front. Let's turn the focus over to the hog market, Dennis. That has been on fire since last summer. Current summer contracts lean hogs well north of 120. Hogs and Pigs Report out on Wednesday, I believe, this week. What do you expect to see? Well, the uh, you look at the trade estimates, and uh, and I'm pretty amazed. They're looking at a 99% uh, all hog and pig. Uh, kept for breeding down 1% and a kept for market down 1%. But I asked Mike... Uh, Year-to-date hog slaughter is down 7% from a year ago. I'm hearing we can see shortfalls in pig numbers, marketable hogs, uh, butcher hogs, if you will, anywhere from from down 5% to down more than 12% between now and the end of summer. How do you have a kept for breeding or correction, a kept for market category down only 1%? So. Uh, the trade estimates are completely out of line, in my opinion, but I have no idea what the survey will show. I do believe that the hog numbers are way short, uh, anywhere from 5% to, to as much as 10% short of a year ago. That is unreal. Given the prices that are out there, Dennis, this, especially in the summer, May at 118, June at 125, July at 125. Boy, this sure seems like a selling opportunity, but enough hog numbers are as short as you think. Where do we go from here? Well, I'm, I'm bullish. I think we go on higher. Uh, if you want to uh, sell this market, uh, buy puts and leave the upside open. I do not see the merit in challenging this market right now. Uh, and that's our, that's how, how we've been approaching this market now for months. So so uh, we're leaving the upside of this hog market totally open and using put options if you want a price floor. How pricey have those put options got in hogs, Dennis? Are they getting a little expensive? Well, the puts are, are high. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But you know what? The price of poker is very expensive right now in all of these markets, whether you're talking the livestock or the grain markets. That's just the way it is. So you're, you're also establishing a price floor at an incredibly high price. So uh, it, it's worth the premium, and it's certainly worth, in my opinion, leaving the upside open. Let's see where this can go. Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And folks, when we return, John Baranek of DTN Weather gives us the update on what to expect from the skies later on this week. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
When it comes to your 2022 seed decisions, don't step over the line. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. The Seed Innovation and Protection Alliance membership of 100 companies invest 15% of their sales into product research and development that can take 7 to 16 years, with total costs ranging from $1 million to $140 million for new genetics and or traits. SEPA thanks farmers for buying new seed that not only maximizes yield potential, but also funds the next great seed innovations for U.S. farmers. To anonymously report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. (laughs) Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us today for AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we are gearing up for spring across the country. Planters are rolling down in the far south parts of Texas, the Big Bend area. Saw some corn getting in the ground here a week, 10 days ago, and those folks are moving north. But of course, if we're going to get in the field, we've got to have conducive weather for it. To bring us up to speed on what to expect, John Baranek of DTN Weather joins me now. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks for having me on, Mike. I appreciate that. Let's look out to this week ahead. John, who's going to be getting some moisture? It looks like just about everybody uh, is going to get at least a little bit of something here. We've got a pretty big system here moving into the west. Uh, We've already had some pretty moderate to heavy amounts in the Central Valley of California. It's going to spread throughout the west here uh, throughout the day. Tomorrow, we're going to see that move out into the plains and uh, kind of going to be in two little pieces here. But uh, for the most part, we're going to see precipitation just about everywhere. and that's going to be through the end of the week too. Um, I think the biggest, you know, where we're going to see the most moderate to heavy amounts really from the southeastern plains, so eastern uh, Oklahoma and Texas, up into the Great Lakes and points eastward are going to have the best chances for anything heavy. Otherwise, we're looking at more light to moderate amounts everywhere else, and that includes the hard red winter wheat areas in the southwestern plains. They saw some pretty decent precipitation last week. This week, they won't see as much uh, at all. I think we'll see uh, mostly amounts uh, under a quarter of an inch for them. And then we'll get some uh, mixed precipitation on the northern end of it, too. Some some ice and some snow, but nothing overly dramatic. All right. And for those folks down in the southern plains, you expect this potential quarter inch to come as rainfall, right? This is not a, a freeze warning event. Well, it might be a a mix of rain and snow in some spots. Um, You know, overall, the system isn't that cold. Uh, You know, we've got some pretty decent cold temperatures here across the Midwest over the weekend. But 
what's following behind this this uh, next system coming up isn't as cold. So um, really not uh, not a whole lot in terms of uh, of snowfall potential um, uh, with that quarter inch. I think mean, most most of it will will fall as rain, but it could come with a mix of, of some snow in there too. Well, let's talk a little bit farther out. You mentioned the system's moving through the West now. It's going to break into the plains tomorrow, be a couple different pieces. As you look at Wednesday and on into Thursday, John, does this develop severe weather risks as it moves east? It absolutely does, yes, uh, especially across uh, the southern half of the country. So if you were to take uh, basically from Oklahoma and Texas kind of eastward, those areas have the best chances of having the, the, the greatest potential for severe weather. But we could see it all the way up into the Midwest. Uh, even up as far north as, as Chicago and into uh, potentially into uh, lower Michigan as well uh, with some of it, just depending on the timing and, and everything, how everything comes together. But, um, yeah, really, really south of, of the Ohio River and, and, and from Oklahoma and Texas southward, I think it's got the best chance for it. And uh, there's really good chances for it, too. I mean, we're in that time of year. Uh, these spring storm systems really have the potential for it. And it uh, looks like we'll have a pretty good shot. Well, let's look out a little bit longer term, John, as these patterns shift, as you watch the large macro scale events that drive weather, are we in the midst of any changing patterns right now? Or do you anticipate this potential string of just storms moving through weekly to continue? Uh, We will for a little while here. Um, We've got nothing really in the way. Usually what we look for is big ridges of, of high pressure just kind of putting a block in the pattern like a stone in a, in a river uh, but we're not really seeing that uh, at least for the next couple of weeks now there is something a little bit farther down the line kind of towards the middle of april that's kind of showing up a little bit in the models but when i'm talking to our, our longer range forecasters here at dtn uh, they're, they're a little bit more keen on on a, a potential um, warm-up in the eastern pacific and uh, really what that does is typically give us here in uh, Central North America a nice cold shot. So I think we have a, a, at least a chance for it here in the middle of the month uh, of seeing a, a bigger cold shot. And uh, what, they, what they have said, though, is that it would be relatively brief as it moves through. So we've got some colder temperatures moving through, some occasional systems moving through. That, uh, that, that block here in, in the eastern Pacific We'll be to a cool down and probably some drier conditions for about a week. And then we get back into our, our, our warm-up phase, I think, for the later half of, of April and uh, going into May where we, we start to you know, turn on the heat a little bit. All right, John, what is the situation with La Nina down there in the Southern Pacific? It continues. Uh, it's been very uh, stagnant and persistent for the last uh, probably six to eight weeks. We haven't seen a whole lot of change in it in terms of uh, surface temperatures, at least. What we have seen is the strengthening in the wind. So really, La Nina is kind of two different things, uh, but the main part of it is actually the winds along the equator. And uh, when they're stronger than normal, that's when La Nina conditions occur. And that's what we have seen over the last few weeks here. So we could be seeing um, uh, an increase, actually, in strengthening in the La Nina at the the surface and the uh, surface temperatures. Uh, for the next uh, few weeks here before we start to gradually move towards a, uh, a neutral state. Now, uh, I'll mention there's the American model has been very persistent of keeping La Nina all the way through summer and going into fall. And the other models that have been kind of neglecting that uh, have been kind of uh, changing their ways a little bit and uh, trending a little bit more towards that uh, GFS or uh, American model solution. And uh, uh, we're kind of, you know, looking at potentially this, this uh, you know, La Nina situation lingering all the way through summer, which would not be good uh, for, for American farmers, that's for sure. Well, let's, let's expand on that. Then this is a risk we should be discussing. John, where does the risk first develop if La Nina were to stick around? Well, really what we see during La Nina, and we saw it last year for sure, is a nice big heat ridge across uh the Rockies and into the plains, and that keeps everything hot and dry down out there. Um, sometimes that lingers out into the eastern Midwest as well. So, um, you know, we've already had risks kind of showing up in the long range forecast for a hot and dry summer. Um, La Nina would basically just put uh, put a nice big fat stamp on that and say, "Yep, that's prob- that's going to happen." Uh, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm significantly concerned about that. 
uh, and the trends we're seeing in some of those other models towards that La Nina condition. However, what, what I will say is that even if it is a La Nina, it, uh, it's not a very strong one. So there could be breaks in it at times where we end up with decent conditions uh, across portions of the country here at, at times. And uh, that might you know, save us from a, a complete disaster uh, during the summertime and uh, into the fall, but you know the, the risks are, are growing uh, as, as, as we keep continuing through the spring here. John, how late can La Nina be strengthening or still in effect um, to, to create these troubles? I guess, what are the deadlines we should be watching for for the strength of La Nina as it pertains to the summer growing season? Can we make it through April or May? When does it become a concern? Really, you know, I mean, it, it's a concern as long as it's as, as long as it's around. Um, so I guess I, I, the answer to your question is, you know, as long as as long as it's around, it's going to cause us issues. I mean, it's already had drastic consequences for the southern plains and uh, the intense drought that has developed there over the winter time. Um, and uh, you know, as, as we move on, that that's probably only going to continue to be worse. You know, events like we saw last week that kind of put a dent in it were nice, but they, they didn't eliminate it. And, you know, we could still see those occasional uh, events, but on, on the whole there, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything is, is going to change in that regard. All right. It sets the bias up for dryness. John, let's look south of the equator here down to Brazil. Of course, that second crop, Safrina, is growing. Is their rainy season continuing as expected? Uh, actually, it's not so bad. And uh, typically under La Nina conditions, um, it's, it's pretty decent here for about the next couple of weeks, and then it shuts down pretty early. Uh, I'm not seeing that so much in the models anymore. I used to see that uh, a few weeks ago. They were showing up with uh, dryness concerns popping up uh, basically uh, mid-April, when typically it ends about early May. And, um, you know, I, I haven't seen so much of that that dryness showing up anymore so um you know they've, they've had some decent rainfall there for much of brazil uh over the course of this month and um you know if, if they continue to, to have that for the next few weeks and they see a normal end to their rainy season they should end up with a decent corn crop okay we'll continue to watch that john are there any other weather issues around the world we should keep, keep be keeping an eye on you know, the situation in, in Ukraine and Russia is always something we should probably keep an eye on, uh, and especially since we have we don't know exactly what's going to go on with what they're what they're going to see with uh, harvesting wheat and everything. Uh, I think that we're going to have to keep our eye on that. It looks like they're in a good spot right now, but they'll uh, we'll have some trouble coming up later this spring and summer. The weather is always changing. John Brannick of DTN, thanks for dropping in and telling us how it could change this week. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. And folks, stick around. Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will be joining us when we return to talk about the policy changes happening in Washington, D.C. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, it's a risk-off day across the commodities and Wall Street. Crude oil leading the way lower amid concerns about rising COVID lockdowns in China, even as the war rages on in Ukraine. Crude oil prices over 6% lower, down 882 a barrel, 105.08. 
We saw export sales of soybeans to China this morning, 4.9 million bushels of curry ear beans, as well as a 5 million bushel sale of U.S. corn to unknown destinations, with 3 million of that for the current year and the remaining 2 million for the 22-23 marketing year. That gets going September 1st. U.S. soybeans currently competitive with Brazilian supplies, although a freight advantage still gives the edge to Brazil for soybeans going to China through April and May. Rail logistics are focused on moving corn, grain, sorghum, and soybeans to the Pacific Northwest for shipment to China. While it's difficult to move wheat to the Gulf, keeping exports slow, Brazil's forecast went much drier for northeastern Safrina corn areas over the weekend and much wetter for southern areas. It's too early, though, to hit the panic button, but Ukraine's problems make this matter much more. Right now on the board, May corn down 11 and a half, 742 and a half. December corn down 10 to three quarters, 658 and a quarter. May beans down 25 and three quarters, 1684 and a half. November beans down 22, 1474 and three quarters. May bean meal down 270 to 485, 20. May bean oil down 203 points, 7272. Wheat's been the downside leader through the overnight and so far today. May Chicago wheat down 54 and a quarter, 1048. May Kansas City wheat down 47 to three quarters at 10.63. May spring wheat down 37 at 10.67 and a quarter. Hogs have turned higher April up 32 at 107.80. While cattle are lower, March feeder cattle down 21.56.22. April live cattle down 37 right now at 140.10. The Dow Jones down 105 points. You're listening to AOA. For the American Ag Network, I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed and they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us. Over the past several weeks, action has been happening in Washington, D.C. And Jackie Fatka, the policy editor for Farm Progress, joins us today to bring us up to speed. Jackie, trade issues are back in the headlines. Are there trade discussions going on in Washington, D.C. right now? So, you know, everybody in the ag sector is really wanting some big, big uh, news, but actually we've gotten a few little wins. And so I guess we'll take some little wins. Uh, last week, we've got some some word from the U.S. Trade Representative's office that the biggest one for ag is uh, an issue on the Japan. And beef. And um, basically what happened there, you know, when we pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, we basically put ourselves at a disadvantage. So when Trump was around, he was able to lower the tariffs on beef and, and do that in a, in a side agreement, essentially, that would put us at a level playing field of what we would have been had we stayed in TPP, which is now called CPTPP. Lots of lots of letters, mouthful. Um, but this, this agreement is something that we knew that we were going to be needing for uh, the last year, because basically we, we trigger a higher tariff when we have a certain level of trade. And so, you know, U.S. producers are selling a lot of beef to Japan. Uh, in 2021, we set a new record value. At, basically, they've they've created a system that hopefully should allow continued U.S. beef to, to trade at a, a level of, of what some of those other TPP countries. So with Japan, a big market for our beef, um, great, great news there. Um, another thing on the trade front, uh, obviously, we know that the 232 tariffs have been around a while. That's with the steel tariffs, and those were with different countries. So last week, we were able to 
put together a deal with the UK to lower some of those retaliatory tariffs uh, worth 500 million. And, you know, for the US, that's good news for corn. That's good news for our distillers. Uh, but for a lot of folks, it's good news for bourbon. So they can um, be getting some more of our US uh, distilled distilled drinks in uh, the UK because of the lowering of these tariffs. So a couple wins there and we'll, we'll take them. Absolutely. I mean, if we're shipping corn outside this country, it's great whether it's in the belly of an animal or in a fine bottle of bourbon. Jackie, you mentioned the U.S. Trade Reps Office made this announcement. Of course, we have not seen a lot of progress on nominations, particularly key ag nominations in D.C. Do we have any new names being floated for the chief ag negotiator role under that U.S. Trade Reps Office yet? No, and we're not hearing anything. You know, here in the last couple of weeks, we've had somebody, um, Elaine Trevino was a California uh, who had worked for the uh, Almond Alliance, and she was nominated last fall um, and just never went anywhere. And then here in the last couple of weeks, we'd actually heard that she's going to be transitioned over to a White House position that did not require the nomination to be approved by Congress, by Senate. And so now we're back to square one. And really, unfortunately, that actually could could drag on even longer. I mean, you know, we're one third of the way into the current Biden administration. And so you figure you've got to nominate someone, you've got several months before that would be vetted, and then you've got to have it confirmed. And so, you know, we very well could be well into the end of this year, or even the start into next year, before we actually had somebody nominated, approved, and in the position. But it seems like the USTR's office is still working on behalf of agriculture. Jackie, what does the trade rep, the ag negotiator do? What do they bring to the table that we don't have currently? Just additional knowledge of the subject? You know, I'd heard uh, in, a, in a hearing a couple of weeks ago, somebody made a really good point. You know, a lot of these issues are political political discussions amongst another political person. And so by having that weight of being somebody who is confirmed and, and not just, you know, there is a lot of really great career folks, but sometimes you need to have that person that'll go to bat. You know, Greg Dowd, actually, when I heard that Trevino was not going to be uh, taking the position, I, I I sent him an email and he said, oh, I, I probably shouldn't comment on this. But, you know, there is a lot that goes into um, being able to to really just have that weight behind your push, right? So really having somebody to go to bat for you. And when it comes to ag, you know, we've got a lot of issues, whether they're tariff issues, a lot of non-tariff barriers that are being uh, thrown up. And so having someone who's really familiar with that, understands that, uh, and can do some of those really hard, hard push from a political standpoint is really necessary. And so, you know, we're just gonna have to keep waiting on that. I mean, there is some great, great people that are career folks at USDA as well as USTR who understand ag, uh, but it is unfortunate that we don't have somebody to really champion some of those issues. Well, one issue that has been championed by several folks in Congress over the past several months is the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Jackie, we've been talking about this quite a bit. We had Aubrey Bretoncourt of the Almond Alliance, new president of the Almond Alliance on the show on Friday. She mentioned just how important this could be to get signed specifically for those specialty crops that rely on container shipping. Bring us up to speed. Where does the Ocean Shipping Reform Act sit right now in, in D.C.? So it passed in the House really easily uh, before the end of the year, um, you know, 363 to 47 in the House um, before the end of 2021. Um, the Senate, they had introduced a, a similar bill and it actually the the Senate's version passed out of committee. So uh, this this would need to come up for a vote on the Senate floor and then it would need to be conferenced because there are some differences in the Senate version versus the House version. Um, but it sounds like Senate Majority Leader Schumer is very supportive of bringing it up for a vote on the floor. You know, that's part of the issues with 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 actually getting floor time. But there there does seem to be a strong uh, sense of support for bringing this up for a vote and then being able to get it across the finish line. And there's a couple different vehicles that they could try to do that, whether that's a standalone. Uh, there's also reauthorization of Coast Guard authority. So that's an option. Um, Representative Dusty Johnson, great advocate for agriculture from South Dakota. He's one of the co-sponsors of this bill. And last week when he was speaking about this bill particularly, he, he really seemed very positive that they could get this across the finish line. And again, a great uh, 
bipartisan bill, you know, very, very widespread bipartisan support introduced um, with both members, both sides, bicameral. And so they're they're really hoping to get this across the finish line. And at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing for this is is trying to have some reciprocal action. You know, we don't we can't have as many boats going back to say China empty. And so this is giving some, I mean that's one component of this is is trying to help hold those carriers, those foreign flag ocean carriers accountable. And they just can't, if you're going to ship here, if you're going to sh- send your stuff here, then you've also got to take our stuff from here and, and helping along those lines of really, there's some other things, but I think that's really the biggest thing. It's just trying to help bring some reciprocal actions from the, these foreign ocean carriers. Yeah, and I would say, folks, if you're curious about how the Ocean Shipping Reform Act could impact specific segments of agriculture, listen to Friday's show. I spoke with Aubrey in segment four on Friday, and she highlighted just the challenges that have been created by these foreign shippers over the past year in almonds. It's substantial. Jackie, while we're talking about uh, congressional action, one area that has had the spotlight for the past 18 months or so is the cattle market in particular. Are there any more discussions coming up? I know the cattle market transparency bill is still in progress in D.C. What what are they doing with regard to beef and cattle specifically in in Washington? So, uh, you know, one thing a couple of weeks ago they did include in the uh, final appropriations that's going to finish us out for the year that they will create a cattle contract library pilot program. And so that pilot program, um, I mentioned Representative Johnson, he's actually one of the uh, authors of the the cattle contract library house bill and so he's encouraging that as USDA puts together that pilot program that they would base it off of the very w- widespread support from the cattle contract how they had their legislation ri- written so that's one thing um, on the house ag side again uh, obviously we've had a lot of hearings over the last couple of years a lot of last couple of years, but really the last 18 months, you mentioned 18 months. Uh, and as as we've seen coming out of COVID and some of the situations within the cattle sector, the House Ag has actually announced that they're going to do another hearing here um, at the end of April uh, to, to really kind of continue that discussion of where things should be. Uh, you know, we don't always see big, huge, flashy headlines come out of hearings, but it is a good opportunity to get some more intel on what's working, what's not, and help kind of lay that groundwork for how we could maybe change things going forward. If this is a pilot program, um, I, I would imagine they're going to be making some suggestions on what they should should do and should not do maybe within that hearing as well. Okay, one of the areas that USDA has been fairly responsive on to the complaints coming from producers is on the lack of processing capacity. Jackie, I understand there's some new money out there for meat processors. Can you give us the rundown? Yeah, you know, there there's some more money out there for some technical grants as well as some meat processor grants. So this is something that USDA has been really trying to help within their mission of, of creating a more resilient resilient food supply chain. And so this is part of that. And so, yeah, this is, um, there's some new $23 million that came out again just last week, um, some technical assistance grants to help with that. So hopefully we will continue to see a a building out of some smaller and mid-sized expanding their, their processing capabilities. Any word from the EPA on when those RVO requirements might be finalized for the coming year and the past two years? Oh, no, and I'm not holding my breath. I mean, we could, uh, I mean, I think they are working on it. They're, they, they've got a, a fine line that they're trying to to, to walk, um, but I think we could see a couple of, we could see probably a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months before we see that. Um, obviously, with the Russia situation, a lot of folks are, are looking to ethanol to have expanded use, but whether that actually comes from EPA down or whether that's the market driven, that's something that we'll be watching. Folks, that's Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor at Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining us. Always great to talk with you. When AOA returns, we'll take a look at some acreage estimates coming from Farm Futures. Stay with us here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to Dr. Now and share it. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it twice a day. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it in the morning and before dinner. I get it, slip it, cuff it, check it, and share it with my doctor. Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Now that I know my blood pressure numbers, I talked with my doctor. We're getting those numbers down. Get it, slip it, cuff it, check it. Talk to doctor now and share it. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Learn more at manageyourbp.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPPD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. us every Tuesday for Around the Table brought to you by CHS as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are gearing up this week on Thursday for the March 31st prospective plantings release date from the USDA. On Thursday, they will also be dropping the quarterly grain stocks report for the, well, for the first quarter of 2022. No doubt both of these things are being watched closely by the market. And market analysts are gearing up for their expectations of this report. Looking at this prospective plantings, it is a tough call to make given the profitability in the various segments of agriculture. One group who has proposed their potential acreage reports is Farm Futures. Jackie Holland is a grain markets analyst with Farm Futures magazine. She conducted this survey that uh, led to their acreage discussion. Jackie, bring us up to speed. What do you folks expect to see for corn, soybeans, and wheat acreage here coming from the USDA on Thursday? Hi, Mike. Well, we expect to see 90.4 million acres of corn, 92.2 million acres of soybeans, and um, we expect winter wheat acres to stay consistent with what USDA currently has at about 34.4 million acres, but we're expecting slightly smaller acreages in spring wheat and Durham than what's in the trade market now because we really feel, based on our most recent farmer survey that farmers are being very have been very responsive to this higher price environment and likely made a lot of considerations to that when planning out their 2022 acreage that's why we're forecasting more soybean acreage in 2022 than corn acreage just because those high production costs for corn um, just really really kind of eroded producer sentiment for corn acres in some of those fringe areas that are outside the key corn belt area. Yeah, I hear that a lot, folks, in the Dakotas, in Kentucky, in places where, you know, corn really looks attractive this year, or I should say competing crops uh, have very attractive outlook. Jackie, 92 million acres beans, I believe you guys are at the high end of estimates for the that bean acreage number. How confident are you in this survey data? I know it was it was performed twice, wasn't it? Yes, and we had very similar responses on both surveys. Um, initially, I was very surprised that our soybean acreage continued to remain that high. Uh, personally, as an analyst, I kind of expect that even if soybeans do outpace corn acreage this year, um, it probably won't quite reach 92.2 million acres. But the fact of the matter is, is that in this high cost environment, um, I think in areas where it's more difficult to get fertilizer or it's maybe more expensive, that that really is going to be a huge deciding factor that may have pushed some growers away from corn acreage this year. That makes sense that it was just such a rocket rise in the price of fertilizer coming out of the fall season that, yeah, some folks may just be twiddling their thumbs, I should say, or thinking about this in a little more detail. Jackie, as you were doing your survey, the most recent one that you conducted here at the end of February, early part of March, you also asked producers their expectations for profitability in 2022. What did you find? We found that on the whole, um, only I think 62% of our growers expect that they're going to have lower profits in 2022 relative to 2021. And of that 62% that think that they're going to have lower profits, 95% um, cited higher input costs as the primary factor for those squeezed margins. 
which certainly makes sense given the prices we're seeing for inputs across the system. Jackie, as you look out to Thursday's report day, certainly a lot of news coming from the USDA prospective plantings as well as quarterly grain stocks. Do you have a handle on what to expect as of yet here for that quarterly grain stocks in either corn or beans? For corn or beans, based on where the pre-report trade estimates are, um, it looks like we're probably going to end on the higher side of corn volume, uh, which points to lower usage. And that's not surprising because the December 1 to March 1 period that USDA is measuring in this report, um, it's not peak export season, and we have seen the cattle herd shrink during that time. So that wouldn't be surprising. I think I kind of have more bullish hopes for the soybean complex. Um, I think soybean usage is, is going to be a key factor to watch in this report. Um, not only is it going to indicate strong domestic demand, um, but it'll also kind of signal what type of availability we have for a potential late export season push due to the tight South American supply condition right now. That makes sense. You mentioned that strong domestic demand for soybeans. Do you anticipate crushers running hot here, at least into the first part of summer? Yes. Yes, I do. I think that while, you know, we're, we're seeing some increased export interest, I think until we start to see those loading volumes pick up, I think until then, I think that crushers are going to take advantage of the available supplies and the lack of international competition. That makes sense. Buy when they can, I suppose, is the moral of that story. And on the export front, Jackie, when do you think we'll start to see shipments actually increase down at the Gulf? Uh, for corn or soybeans, Mike? Well, I was thinking on the soybean side, but Jackie, unfortunately, we are coming to the end of our conversation. We will have to pick this back up after these reports come out on Thursday, folks. We've been talking to Jackie Holland. She's the Grains Analyst with Farm Futures Magazine. Jackie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mike. And folks, tune in to AOA tomorrow. We'll be discussing more of the issues that are impacting agriculture. We look forward to you joining us right here. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Have a great day. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.